BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod on this Friday morning, August 26th, about 8.30 in the morning in our nation's capital. Uh, and a slightly different version of our Reporters Roundtable. You know, with Congress out of session and President Biden on vacation from the beginning of the week, there was not a lot happening at the White House or on Capitol Hill. All the action was in Republican and Democratic primaries in several key states with some exciting and surprising results. All of it, of course, leading up to the midterm elections on November 8th. So we decided this was a good time to do a special roundtable focused on the national political landscape today. How do things look for the House, the Senate, and the big governorships at stake with just a little over two months to go? Our guests today know the political lay of the land better than most because national politics is their beat day in and day out. We thank them for taking time out to share their insights and observations from Politico, political reporter and White House correspondent, Chris Cadlago. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Bill. It is always good to be here. Thank you. And joining us from NBC News, national political reporter, Alan Smith. Hello, Alan. Thank you for having me on, Bill. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so let's talk, first of all, just in general about this week's primaries. We saw them in Florida, New York, and uh, and in some other states. Uh, Alan, let me start with you. Overall, did we learn anything big or any new trends or signs from this week's primaries? I think the biggest thing we saw, Bill, was in the New York 19 special election. Uh, clearly, post-Dobbs, abortion has been an issue that has really motivated uh, not only Democrats, but people to vote for Democrats. And I think we've seen now four or five special elections since then where uh, Democrats have exceeded uh, expectations in terms of their vote share in these elections. We've seen the, the, the Kansas referendum, which obviously came as a huge surprise to a lot of folks. Um, and I, I think that's really the big trend to watch going forward. Initially after Dobbs, you know, a lot of people I, I spoke to thought uh, that this wasn't going to have a huge electoral impact, particularly on the right. And I don't think people are thinking that anymore. What's your read, uh, Chris? And just uh, uh, for so everyone understands, this uh, New York nineteenth uh, that Alan talked about, of course, was a special election for between Pat Ryan, Democrat, and Mark uh, Molinaro, Republican. Uh, and everybody said this was kind of a bellwether district. It was a swing district. It went for Obama, then it went for Trump, then it went for Biden, barely. Uh, what's it tell you, Chris? I mean, I think Alan is right. Uh, what we saw in that race in terms of kind of the ad war and the, 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 the sort of what the candidates and the folks around them were saying was um, on the Democratic side, a real reliance uh, and leaning on, um, uh, on Republicans uh, from the Democratic perspective saying uh, on the Roe issue, on the abortion issue. And I think 
uh, clearly that is resonating. Um, and on the Republican side, you know, they've really staked out, in addition to all these uh, social issues that you see uh, folks running on, they've really staked out this race, not so much on any kind of policy that they're offering. In fact, um, there's been very little of that. It's been on uh, running against Joe Biden and, the, and Democratic leadership and also, you know, inflation and the economy and gas prices. And what we're seeing, and I don't know if this will continue, is, is obviously a summer of gas prices uh, slowly falling, um, inflation uh, as a sort of turnout issue has not uh, necessarily been able to keep up with um, this abortion issue. And then you also have this kind of broader underlying theme of Democrats, which is that uh, even if a particular House candidate uh, isn't registering with voters as, as, as extreme, the party itself is this boogeyman. And I think they're, they're using that and obviously the specter of Trump uh, to say uh, that these folks should not be in power. And um, it is kind of, for the moment, subordinated uh, Biden as as the boogeyman here. I, you know, Republicans have tried very hard to tag uh, Biden as sort of ineffective and uh, and and someone um, that needs to be checked. And I think when you have like weeks of coverage of the January six hearings, and then that that sort of explodes into this search of Mar-a-Lago, the effect is is even when things are going well for Democrats and they're passing legislation, the effect is, is essentially that Biden is, is off the front pages. He's off the chirons and it's all Trump. And that's what people are seeing in the macro sense. And I think uh, that has probably uh, helped Biden. We've seen his approval tick up a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, you know, overall, um, Democrats are seeing this combination of things. And I guess one other thing I'd mention is, a lot of people were really scared after the special election on the Democratic side uh, in or not special, but the sort of off year election in Virginia with with uh, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. And there was almost this like fear of, oh, well, Terry McAuliffe talked about Donald Trump and Republican extremism too much and it didn't work. So we just need to back off this completely. And um, it, I, I think we're seeing folks come back to that issue, not so much this big overarching de democracy issue, but basically that the Republican Party is too extreme to be in power. And um, I think it doesn't necessarily have to be centered around Trump, but Trump's putting himself in the news. Um, mm -hmm. And so th it, it's this combination of things for Democrats right now that has made them feel better. But y you're going to go through the, the, the states. And I, I think there's still a lot to be determined about whether some of these Republican candidates, particularly in the Senate, can like get it together um, enough. And, and sort of ride a, a wave. And I, 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 there does feel like there's a fear that Democrats um, might, especially in these Senate races, be feeling a little bit too overconfident. Um, these things are going to tighten up for sure. Yeah, I want to I take a look at each of those uh, big Senate, Senate races in just a minute. But sticking to this, the impact of the Dobbs decision, uh, Alan, which you raised, um, it, there is some indication, and you've reported on this, uh, that Republicans realize this may not be a winning issue for them, and it might really be the issue that, in fact, drives turnout for Democrats. And you saw that happening in Arizona with Blake Masters. Here is the latest ad that Republican candidate Blake Masters, endorsed by Donald Trump, running against, of course, Mark Kelly, um, 
ran sort of backing off his position, trying to paint Kelly as the extremist and him as just a com- him masters as a common sense guy on abortion. I want to get your take, but let's listen to the ad. Most people support common sense regulation around abortion. But Mark Kelly votes for the most extreme abortion laws in the world. We're talking no limits up until birth. Think about how crazy that is. Look, I support a ban on very late term and partial birth abortion. And most Americans agree with that. That would just put us on par with other civilized nations. Uh, Alan, that's not what he was saying uh, a couple of days ago, right? Right. So not long after this uh, ad was published on uh, Blake Masters' Twitter page, uh, he updated his website to either rewrite or completely erase five of the six positions he outlined on abortion uh, on, on his <laughs> policy platform. Uh, he even he even erased the line that said, I am 100 percent pro-life, which even more so than uh, any rewrite of the policy positions he could have is extremely telling. Um I mean, he might not have intended it to be quite this way, but to erase 100% pro-life. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that sends, that sends such a loud message about how this, this issue is affecting swing races right now. Now the polling in Arizona has shown masters to, to be behind and, you know, there's plenty of time for him to make up the gap between him and Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly has a big fundraising advantage, uh, Democrats like Kelly in other swing states, too, haven't had to go through these bruising primaries that candidates like Masters have. So we're really seeing the effect of, you know, these drag out primaries. Everyone is fighting, particularly for Trump's endorsement. And then, boom, these guys win the primary. Now they have to pivot to the general. They have all this this baggage from what was the all out brawl in the primary. They have depleted resources from trying to win and get out of it. And now they've got to start recovering. Uh, we, we've seen this as a trend throughout some of these bigger Senate races that, uh, you know, the Republican, even though the environment in theory is good for the GOP in, in the first midterms of Biden's presidency, um, you're seeing them come out of these primaries just battered and having to pick up the pieces. It's still pretty early, but that's why you're seeing sort of a lot of them coming from behind and the abortion issue, as you're seeing with how masters has handled this, uh, on his website, uh, and you're seeing in other races too, that's just another uh, point putting some of these guys behind the eight ball. Yeah. And Chris, one other point on the abortion issue before we move on is I saw this week it reported that voter registration among women has surged, not just in blue states, but in red states and, uh, and purple states, so-called, uh, up 12% among women in Pennsylvania, and four out of five of those new women are registered registered as Democrats, up 40 percent in Kansas. I mean, these women are coming out and registering to vote. Obviously, don't you think on that one issue? uh, And these are new voters that are not counted in the in the polls, Chris. Yeah. And and there's a bit of uh, irony here, too, in the sense that, um, you know, when this decision came down, um, there was backlash against the White House. There's backlash against Joe Biden and the vice president for saying, go register, go vote. Like, this is yeah. how, this is the immediate action that needs to be taken. And there were sort of people saying, how can you say go vote? This this thing just got overturned. Yeah. Well, we're seeing very clearly that um, that that is sort of the result that uh, in the meantime, um, you know, the short term result that that people are 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 going to. And, um, 
it's it's making a difference. The other thing I would add is, uh, in addition to to women, is is young folks. I mean, we've seen in the last yep. week uh, the decision being made by the White House uh, to eliminate uh, ten to twenty thousand dollars, twenty thousand for uh, Pell grantees on student loans. Obviously, with this major health and climate bill. Um, they're doing some work on the climate side, which is another thing that um, young people have said in in polls they wanna they wanna see in in terms of action that will help uh, generate some enthusiasm among the democratic base. So you know those are helpful signs. That combination, um, there was a real fear that that young people would stay home in this uh, midterm, and um, obviously we'll have to see if if they do, but. But these are mm-hmm. encouraging signs for Democrats so far. All right. So let's take a look at Florida. Big uh, pr- uh, primary there, the Democratic primary. And the Democrats decided Charlie Crist, former governor, former Republican governor, was the best to take on Ron DeSantis. Uh, Charlie Crist, who is also very much pro-choice, um, uh, said that he's going to beat Ron DeSantis on one unusual issue. All you need is love charlie christ he is on the battlefield of hate i am on the battlefield of love there's faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love it's in corinthians in the bible i'm going to beat him because i'm running on love and love always wins uh alan does charlie christ have a chance against ron DeSantis? i would say he has a shot i don't know how likely it is that charlie christ can pull it off however We've seen Florida in recent years, uh, you know, trend a little bit further to the right. You know, on on the national stage, you're really not even hearing Democrats talk that much about Florida races. I mean, only recently has Val Demings really generated uh, a lot of energy around her campaign after some polls showed her uh, with a chance to unseat Marco Rubio. Uh, But there's been a number of elections in recent years in Florida where Democrats had really, really high hopes only to have them dashed. Uh, either in some of these close elections or really in 2020 when uh, the, the former president was able to carry the state by, uh, you know, three three or so points and had overwhelming turnout in his favor in uh, South Florida mm-hmm. among among uh, Latino voters. So, you know, it's, it's difficult. This is actually a point during the campaign where the, the national scene, overall what's going on between the parties, sort of the generic ballot, uh, it's at the toughest point to tell what way th- uh, things could swing. Uh, and, and the polls could be showing a totally different result in two or three weeks. Right now, it looks really, really narrow between the two parties. So you would think in a state like Florida that's already a swing state that Charlie Chris would have a chance. But Ron DeSantis is also going to be you know, very well funded. Uh, he, he's got to build up a great fundraising base. He has a national image. Uh, he really motivates a lot of Republicans to go to bat for him. He's going to be a super tough opponent for Charlie to defeat. Uh, while we're in Florida, I know we'll get to, to, to some of the other Senate seats, but uh, Chris, what should read on the Senate seat there? Val Demings uh, taking on Marco Rubio, um, uh, again, uh, an entrenched incumbent, uh, but De- Demings is a very popular, very populist uh, candidate. Um, what should read on that race? I mean, on the Democratic side, it's it's hard to think of a, a – particularly in a state where Democrat, the Democratic bench has sort of struggled to, to emerge with each, each election, um, you know, with Charlie Chris. I mean, no, no, no offense to Charlie Chris, but, but that being a, a good example of that. 
Um, she she's really a top notch candidate for Democrats to put up. The question I think is for both Rubio and you know to a larger extent DeSantis is they've run this very heavy um, sort of rightward uh, and and DeSantis more so sort of primary all the time uh, feed the base type campaign. And I guess in Florida the question is um, do you Think, you know, do people think that there are enough uh, votes on the Democratic side that there might be some backlash to that and people might sort of tack back away from that? Um, not a, a ton of evidence that that could happen. I think Demings will have some money. Um, you know, th- there will be a, a probably sort of a national movement like we've seen in a lot of these Senate races among Democrats to uh, to rally around her. But just like Alan said, I mean, Florida has been a really tough state uh, for Democrats. It's a very expensive state. Um, it's one where the, the National Party and the uh, committees have been reluctant to spend at the level, particularly the, the gubernatorial committee on the Democratic side. They have a lot of incumbents to protect in uh, in battleground states. Um we know that the uh, the DNC and the, and the White House has kind of continued to keep Florida in the mix, but to be you know totally honest, it it is not uh, an essential state on the twenty twenty four map uh, mm-hmm. for Democrats, and I think that hurts a little bit, right? You look in some of these other states; they are on the essential map for for Democrats, so you're going to see that broader party investment. And um, the fear among Florida Democrats is. Uh, that that the party sort of pulled back too much. And so even in a close environment, and then of course the environment for Marco Rubio is what's really uh, potentially going to help him is can he sort of coast enough um, mm-hmm. to, uh, to take advantage. But, you know, in another year, uh, Demings, we'll see. And it, it, she, she's probably doing everything she needs to do and, and is a very good candidate for Democrats. It's just a question of whether it'll be enough. So Florida is one of what Democrats are calling in Senate races the flippable five, five seats now held by Republicans that Democrats believe that they can win. Uh, I don't want to mention the other four. So Florida is certainly one of them. And the other four, uh, get uh, each of you your take on how these races look. Uh, The other four are, of course, Pennsylvania with John Fetterman, Wisconsin, Mandela Barnes up against Ron Johnson. Ohio, Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance, and North Carolina, Sherry Beasley up against Ted, Ted Budd. Uh, if Florida's a tough haul, uh, Alan, what's your read quickly on, on the other four? Well, I'll tell you what, Pennsylvania, in terms of for Democrats, is is probably the, the best opportunity to flip a Senate seat. Uh, you know, Fetterman, even with his health issues, has been able to prosecute a case against uh, Dr. Oz, leading with the fact that, you know, he resides in New Jersey. He has extremely limited history in the state of Pennsylvania. And the polling shows that a lot of voters are very concerned with whether Dr. Oz knows enough about Pennsylvania to properly represent it in Congress. This was even an issue in the Republican primary. I remember a survey, you know, b- before Oz won, saying 70% of Pennsylvania Republicans were worried about whether the candidate who emerged was really from Pennsylvania. And I think this is why you're, you're still seeing a drag on Dr. Oz's favorability numbers, even with Republicans. Uh, those numbers probably turn around a little bit before Election Day when people put their jerseys on. But that's, that's not a great place to be starting from. 
And a lot of the polling there has shown Fetterman with an edge. Uh, if you go to Ohio, you know, that's a state that's trended pretty far to the right in recent cycles. And even though polls show a pretty close race between Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance, uh, it seems like a show that we've seen before <laughs> recently. Uh, I mean, Sharon Brown was able to win there in 2018 in a blue wave year with a bad opponent uh, facing him. Just not not a great candidate in Jim Renacy. A lot of stuff went right for Sherrod Brown in 2018. Uh, it's going to be much tougher this time for Tim Ryan, uh, but we'll we'll have to see. I mean, the, the polling right now shows it very close. Tim Ryan is better funded. He's been able to have much better fu- fundraising than than JD Vance. But unlike Doctor Oz, JD Vance, even though he is a bit of a celebrity candidate, he does have ties to Ohio, and it kind of nullifies the the, the carpetbagger idea around him. Which, if Ryan would be able to prosecute that case in the way Fetterman has with Oz, it could. Uh, it could be a boon to his campaign. Yeah, uh, let me let me just interrupt you and, and d- ignore what I previously said, just to bring Chris in here uh, for the other two. Uh, Chris, can you pick up on uh, Wisconsin and North Carolina? What's your take, quickly? Yeah, so uh, Wisconsin is a very interesting race. I think you saw on the Democratic side one of the exceptions to a, a great point that Alan made about. Uh, Democrats, particularly the incumbents, not necessarily having to to hustle through these primaries. Um, That wasn't the case for many months on the Democratic side in uh, in Wisconsin. You had Mandela Barnes, you had um, a a few other candidates, several other candidates, including Alex Lazarus, who's this uh, son of the Bucks owner, um, who, who were really battling it out. And I think, you know, the, the, the folks on the Mandela campaign thought that this was going to go down to the wire. In the end, uh, those folks dropped out and endorsed him. Um, but it, it has sort of uh, uh, shortened the runway overall for the candidates themselves to really target um, incumbent uh, Ron Johnson. And I think the question now is, are they able to sort of paint him um, uh, in the way that national Democrats have, um, uh, in 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 sort of a, a bad light, and and did di- did they squander uh, precious time to do that? Um, you know, folks folks in the state know Johnson, um, and so that's really uh, I think you know the Johnson campaign has been somewhat potentially hamstrung in how they want to portray. Uh, Mandela, um, I think that they've been sort of worried about uh, 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 painting him as a as a liberal or a, a radical um, because they think that 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 could backfire. So that that has been one ad- advantage for Democrats. And then I think North Carolina is 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 one of these states that has gotten. We were talking about national investment. You know, Florida being one where Democrats have popped in and out. North Carolina is one that has gotten consistent. Uh, national investment. And I think uh, it, it, it is a big priority for the party itself. Um, and, and it is one that is not uh, resonating. And, and I would wonder what Alan would say about this in terms of who this might advantage. It, it, it isn't getting sort of the national attention um, that these others have uh, with, with Johnson or in Florida or particularly Pennsylvania, which is really just running away with the, you know, with the sort of press attention and scrutiny on these, on these candidates, particularly um, Oz. 
Um, and so I think it's, it's been a kind of a sleepy race. It's been an under the yeah. radar race. Um, Beasley, um, obviously got the other candidates to drop out pretty early and has sort of carried the baton there. Democrats, uh, you know, are, are pretty excited about it, but I, I think it's been a much harder one to read and potentially one that, uh, could sort of rise and fall, um, with, with the national sort of tide, uh, in a way that, that that the others may not, where they might be yeah. more candidate determinative. Uh, and we haven't mentioned Georgia yet. That's well, another right, one. Right. I, actually, let me, yeah, let me just jump in there because I want to sw- uh, jump back to Alan and pick up on uh, three races that um, Democrats uh, need to hold or working to hold in the Senate, need to hold in the Senate. Georgia is definitely one. Arizona is one. Uh, and New Hampshire, which has not been getting a lot of attention, uh, is another one. Uh, Alan, your read on Georgia. So right now, uh, Georgia seems like so much of the focus is on Herschel Walker and a lot of the comments he's making. You know, whether it be his, his recent remarks about uh, don't don't we have enough trees when discussing uh, the climate legislation? So a lot of the conversation there is is Herschel Walker ready for prime time? Obviously, going up against uh, Senator Warnock, who has a very strong fundraising base, even among all of the kind of prominent Democratic senators. Um, And with Georgia having trended a bit to the left in recent years, uh, it it seems like one that's going to be much more difficult for the Republicans to flip. Now, Arizona, we were talking about Blake Masters a little bit earlier. All the surveys show him he's in a big hole against Kelly right now. There's plenty of time left to overcome it. But again, you're seeing him backtrack on abortion. And that kind of tells you who's got the stronger footing right now in the race. He's having to defend comments that he's made during the primary, trying to explain his way uh, out of certain things. And that's not really where you want to be as a candidate at this point in the race. You want to be prosecuting a stronger case against your opponent, particularly one who's an incumbent. And Mm -hmm. Masters' campaign against Kelly has been, you know, tie him directly to Joe Biden, try to sting his image as a a moderate by saying, you know, this guy's voting with Joe Biden all of the time. Now it seems like, the, the campaign has kind of flipped on him to where he has to defend his comments on abortion, social security, et cetera. A lot of the stuff he was saying during the primary that was really more inflammatory and kind of got a lot of attention. Now he's playing defense on it. New Hampshire is kind of hard to say until we see what happens uh, in that Republican primary uh, coming up early next month. But Maggie Hassan was really one of the most vulnerable Democratic senators uh, you know, earlier in the cycle. I think there were a number of headlines about how she was someone who was really the most at risk of all of the Democrats playing defense. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Obviously, it's a state that Republicans can still win. Uh, so we will see. And then for Nevada, um, Laxalt, obviously a lot of political connections. He's got DeSantis having endorsed him, and DeSantis really hasn't uh, gone on the trail for a lot of candidates. Uh, I, I think he's sort of the second most popular person in the party right now. So that's been a big boost to him. Uh, but you know, for, for Nevada, Nevada's kind of been, you know, as Chris was laying out in, in North Carolina, it's been a real downer for, for Democrats recently. Nevada's kind of been that way for Republicans, where there's been a few cycles in a row where Republicans were really dead set on, on victories in Nevada, and they just did not come through. Uh, and it's, it's very much in the way that, you know, North Carolina has been this really critical swing state, uh, really, uh, for, for more than a decade now. But you look at Romney and both Trump, Trump runs. And they were able to win North Carolina each of the last three presidential races. Uh, the only statewide Democrat to really have a lot of success there recently is, is Roy Cooper, the governor. Uh, 
So I think people might pay more attention to North Carolina if they see more stuff coming out of there. But but really, it is kind of a sleepy race right now. And and I feel like there are some some comparables between North Carolina and Nevada. Wow. Go ahead, Chris. Say, yes. though, really quickly on New Hampshire, there's there's there has been a couple developments. I think the the passage of this legislation is something that uh, for among among a lot of these incumbents is something that I think could help uh, Hassan. And I think the other th- the other development is the Democratic Party deciding to sideline sort of sidetrack its decision uh, on the 2024 um, early state calendar. Um, uh, there's a lot right. of fear in New Hampshire that they may <laughs> sort of lose their status, and I know that the the Hassan folks and ha- and 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 the the, the candidate mm. herself uh, were very vocal about the party putting that off until after the midterms. Um, uh. That that you know is something that in probably 49 other states would wouldn't affect a statewide race, but we know New Hampshire is a very unique place, and and that is another kind of development that I think. Um, uh, taken off the table could be a, a, a bit of a help for Democrats, too. Yeah, good point. Boy, there's so much going on. We haven't even touched on the House, and we haven't touched on the important governor's races. Uh, so let's take a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, uh, and then we'll be back with uh, today's guest, Chris Catalago from Politico and Alan Smith from NBC News. And today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Prod is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union. They are over half, one and a half million strong, representing every aspect of the American workforce from vegetable workers in California to construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers in Maine. As they say, they represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers, We salute the members of the Teamsters Union, thank them for their great work building America, and thank them particularly for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. 
We're back wrapping up our look at the uh, political landscape here with uh, two top political reporters, Alan Smith from NBC News, Chris Catalago from uh, Politico. Before we jump into the governor's races, uh, would you both agree uh, that overall, very simplistically, uh, it looks like Democrats may still lose the House by not as many seats as were uh, projected, and that Democrats have a good chance of holding on to the Senate and maybe picking up a couple. I know that's very simplistic. Is that kind of where things stand, uh, Alan? And then Chris? I would say at the moment, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, you're you're seeing in the surveys that are coming out that the general uh, generic ballot is really neck and neck right now. We've kind of gone through this entire cycle under the impression that, you know, obviously it's going to be a red wave year. The numbers were telling us it was going to be a very strong year for Republicans. The the historical trends, the conventional wisdom, the, it, it all lined up in, in Republicans' favor. And then especially as you saw Joe Biden's approval ratings sink, it just seemed as if the red wave naturally was going to happen. Now, a lot of stuff has changed recently. And, you know, you're seeing the results of the abortion decision play out. You're seeing the results of, you know, the January 6th stuff taking center stage. You can point to all these different data points that have made this a much closer race between the two parties. But mm-hmm. as things stand right now, uh, you know, it looks even if Republicans do manage to gain some seats in the House and they don't need to gain that many to right. get a majority, uh, it might be greatly lessened. And, you know, there is a big difference, as we've seen all, all year, or really all Congress on the Democratic side. There's a big difference between having a very, very small majority and a larger one. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be very <laughs> interesting to see how, you know, a potential speaker, McCarthy, would lead in a situation where he had a majority, uh, you know, of similar size to what Speaker Pelosi is working with right now. Right. So, Chris, uh, your take, House and the Senate, is that the way it looks to you? Yeah, I, I largely agree with that. I, I, I guess a point on the uh, generic ballot that we've been talking about, um, we have seen that trend in, in Democrats' favor. Um, we've obviously seen that in, in past cycles, even the dreaded on the Democratic side 2010 uh, cycle where it was pretty close all the way up and through, I think, points of July and then just really sort of started to, to trail away. And I think Obama at the time was at about 45. Biden right now is in the low 40s, inching up a little bit. Uh, when you talk to some of these like really smart Democratic uh, national uh, pollsters and folks who worked on presidential campaigns, because in the, in, on the House side, because of the, the partisan gerrymandering that has happened, because of the way that the national ballot, uh, national um, uh, the generic ballot works, Democrats would need to have a lead, uh, according to these folks, of you know something in the range of like seven, eight, maybe even nine points to actually keep the House. Um, and and we're not seeing the numbers uh, at that level, um, y- you know. Yet I think we're seeing some where it's you know four or five up from two or three a few weeks ago. So it is inching in Democrats' favor. And I, I guess at this point, you know, we, we can't really use these past races to inform us too much because we're in such unique times right now. And I think people tend to use the historical comparisons too often. But, but that's the, the sort of bar for Democrats. Um, if, if some of these late breaking uh, uh, um, uh, redrawing of the lines had not sort of fallen in, in Republicans' favor, it, it really would have been a boon to Democrats. It's sort of an undercovered 
mm-hmm. kind of in the weeds story um, that really uh, could determine uh, control of the House. And uh, the McCarthy point, I think, is really interesting because how does he manage with a super slim majority? Does he even at this point uh, become speaker with such a slim majority? Um, I think you know what Good. he was relying on was was larger numbers um, right. of folks, and so Good. you know we'll see. I know we had this discussion in, in past cycles about Nancy Pelosi. Obviously, she managed to uh, to keep control. So we'll we'll see. This is something he's wanted his his whole life. Um, uh, but yeah, it looks it looks like it'll it'll favor Republicans. And 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 like we said about the candidates on the Democratic side in the Senate, um, still an advantage. But um, those those things can turn. They're all going to tighten. Oz, just to go back to him for just a second, um, he's going to get the cavalry here. There's a real reason why he's targeting uh, this questions about Fetterman's health. We've seen Fetterman struggle a little bit in these couple times he's been out there. And so that that is that is a very live wire race. Um, and, and, and Oz, despite his sort of unpopularity, even among Republicans, could still pull that off. All right. Four big governor's races. I'd like to just bounce back and forth uh, and wrap with that. A quick comment from each of you. Uh, because these governor's races are so important, again, uh, you know, recycling where we started, back to the abortion issue in many states, with state legislatures being uh, very much to the right and passing very strong anti-abortion legislation, uh, what happens in those states may depend, will depend, on the governor's veto uh, having said that, uh, on the line, uh, Alan, uh, let's go back to Pennsylvania. How do you read well, it? I mean, in Pennsylvania, you've seen uh, Josh Shapiro, the Democratic nominee and sitting state attorney general, from day one try to prosecute the case against Doug Mastriano that he's he's too extreme. And right. you've got Mastriano right now playing defense, trying to explain to voters that actually he's really not that extreme. And here are all these ways that I'm not extreme. Uh, but usually when you see that going on, it means that the person playing defense is currently down and all the polling over the last uh, maybe month, month and a half has shown Shapiro with uh, a steady, if not uh, growing lead. Um, so Pennsylvania of, of, you know, Wisconsin, PA, Florida and Maryland, uh, it's probably the, the second best opportunity for Democrats. I mean, Maryland, it's really, really difficult to see someone like a Trump acolyte in, in Dan Cox win the governorship there. It's just too blue of a state. Uh, Pennsylvania, Mastriano still has a real chance. He, he is passionately followed by a lot of the folks who helped win the state for Trump in uh, 2016. And he's been able to at least some extent unite the Republican Party there behind him, even though there was a lot of consternation uh, about it when he first won. People thought he, he really was too extreme to be able to win in the fall. And that's kind of why you know, Josh Shapiro was cutting ads before the primary date promoting Mastriano. Yeah. Uh, you know, this guy who was so close to Trump, there's no way he could leave Pennsylvania. But it was one of those kind of uh, subliminal messages of being uh, like, oh, this guy's just like Donald Trump. This is exactly who Donald Trump would want to win in Pennsylvania. And Chris, a lot on the line also in Wisconsin, as Alan mentioned, Tony Evers up for reelection. Uh, what do you see? Yeah, I think. You know, this is another uh, example of, uh, you know, these candidates, these these Trump endorsed candidates, um, uh, you know, raising big questions about whether, um, uh, you know, they could pull it off and appeal to a, a statewide 
electorate. I think in, in a lot of these states, Wisconsin has been, you know, along with Arizona and, and Michigan and others, really on the front lines of this debate over, uh, uh, you know, the elections and the future of elections. And you're seeing that play out there a lot. And I think, you know, in Pennsylvania, we've seen Shapiro talk about how the uh, it's up to the uh, governor to appoint the secretary of state. There's a lot more discussion in these states about sort of uh, small D democracy. And I think there, um, you know, you have Evers who's sort of plodding along and trying to sort of use whatever levers he can in the um, uh, state government to sort of advance his uh, cause in, in, in reelection. Um, and you know, it's, it, it, can these candidates, someone, um, you know, someone there, uh, who, who Trump obviously backed, um, who has come out and, and talked about sort of the, the, the last election and, 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 um, uh, you know, these, these election deniers for lack of a better term, and this debate over decertification of this 2020 election is that gonna gonna hurt Republicans? Um, it, it's it's a it's it's still a difficult state. This is Tim Michaels, who's 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 running. It's it's a very close state, um, and it's one where um, you know the 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 national environment will clearly also have have an impact. Um, but but the, this overarching argument on the part of Democrats that these governors are the backstops. Uh, in the next election, uh, I, I think has had some some real purchase in the party, right. uh, regardless of whether Evers is the most dynamic governor or not. And someone else now, uh, Alan, who's trying to use that argument as a backstop, uh, to use Chris's phrase, uh, Beto O'Rourke in Texas, who actually has a brand new ad up uh, where he's um, a spokesperson, obviously here for Beto, making making this point on that one issue alone, reason uh, to go for the Democrats against Greg Abbott. Here's a Beto's latest ad. From this day forward, August 25th, women all across Texas are no longer free to make decisions about our own body. No longer free to choose if a pregnancy is right for us or our families. Not even in cases of rape or incest. And women will die because of it. All because of Greg Abbott's abortion law. It's too extreme. So I'm voting for Beto. Who will give women our freedom back. The reddest of the red states in Texas. Uh, how do you rate Beto's chances, Alan? Well, in, in 2018, really uh, the best year for Democrats in recent memory, uh, Beto with all of the hype that went into his candidacy, all of the attention that Democrats paid it, all of the money he was able to raise, still fell short in Texas against uh, Ted Cruz, who uh, you know has, has built up obviously a name for himself, but might not be even uh, as polling was showing the state, the most popular politician there. Uh, so it's going to be still, even with the issue set in Texas right now, if you know Beto's focused on abortion rights and he's focused on guns after Uvalde, you know, there might not be a better time for Beto in terms of what his core messaging is. It's still going to be extremely, extremely tough for him to win a statewide race there uh, against uh, a really a powerful incumbent governor uh, who is highly regarded on the mm -hmm. right. Um, right. It, it's going to be it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult. 
Uh, and uh, Chris, finally, the one race I'm surprised isn't getting a more attention is Georgia. Stacey Abrams running for governor again against this is the rematch against Brian Kemp. Um, how do you read it? Yeah, I, I think unlike Herschel Walker, who's had all these questions about whether, um, you know, whether he could broaden his appeal to sort of the the middle of the road uh, Georgia voter. Um, that has been less of a question uh, for Kemp, the incumbent. And Abrams, you know, it's interesting to compare her campaign um, this time with uh, the last time she ran. Um, she's certainly come out and really focused on this sort of uh, statewide effort to be in all different parts of the state to talk about not only sort of the voting issues that have been her calling card, uh, but economic issues, um, other very localized issues. She's kind of pivoted from uh, being this national figure, which she still is, to to, to one who is focused uh, very much on um, on on the local uh, Georgia issues. In a similar way to uh, Raphael Warnock, I think um, their approach to sort of Biden and, and national Democrats has been a little bit different. Uh, she certainly. Um, uh, seems to at times um, embrace uh, Biden, whereas Warnock has sort of uh, kept his distance uh, when he can. But I, I think, um, you know, she has seen maybe an advantage and she's already known nationally in, in trying to localize this race. But, uh, you know, there's been less sort of buzz, frankly, since mm -hmm. the primary there where we saw um, these Republican candidates who were sort of on the other side of Trump um, when it comes to the Brad Raffensperger, um, uh, others there uh, really put away um, the Trump endorsed candidates. And I think that has kind of taken some wind out of the sails of the uh, Abrams campaign. But, you know, we'll see. I, I think uh, Kemp has really been able to sort of straddle this line and, um, and, and appeal more uh, so um, than, than Walker, certainly, but, but maybe even some other Republicans, too. Uh, uh, to more traditional um, Republican voters and, and independents. And that, that, I think, has made it harder for uh, Abrams to, to find an opening. So there we are uh, with a look across the board at uh, the House, at the Senate, and the important governor's races here. Uh, just uh, less than two months to go before the primaries on November, before the general election, uh, the midterms on November eight. Uh, and uh, I think we conclude that um, it's going to be a very, very lively roundup here, uh, the wind-up to the uh, midterm elections, and anything could still happen. A big thanks to today's guest, Chris Catalago, White House correspondent for Politico, Alan Smith, national political reporter for NBC News. Thank you both. Thank you so much for being here. Great job. And thank you all for listening to the Bill Press Pod. Um, now, your only job is to have a great weekend, number one, and then number two. Come back and see us on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We'll be talking with Congresswoman Jackie Speier, representing long, for a long time California's 14th Congressional District. Our 
big leader in many issues uh, in the United States Congress, particularly on the question of sexual assault in the military and suicide uh, in the military, two issues she's been working very actively, taking the lead on. Uh, Jackie, sadly, is retiring from Congress, sadly, in my opinion, but uh, she'll give us her valedictory interview uh, next Tuesday on the Bill Press Pod. Don't miss it. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Be well. Come back and see us again on the Bill Press Pod.